Hey guys, I just spoke for a business conference and we had so much feedback of people wanting to hear it again and dive deeper and pause and review that they asked that we would make it public. So we're going to get unlocked from imposter syndrome, steward our souls in health. And so if you'll stay tuned, you'll get a lot of those keys from this business conference that I was speaking at. We want healthy leaders who create healthy culture. I've lived here since 2009 and I went to grad school in uh, Virginia Beach and internship in Hawaii and then came to Texas. I've been a business owner for just had my 10-year anniversary as a clinical psychologist and leadership consultant and so it is my joy and privilege. I just felt the lovely wonderful businesswoman vibes when I came in so thank you for your hospitality and graciousness. It is a joy to be with you. Um, so first I just think we learn really well through stories um, and also is the sound okay? So I'd like to tell you about Chloe. Chloe is an amalgamation of all of my clients and me. Um, and so she's kind of the corporate woman, right? So Chloe is smart. She's brilliant. She gets great reviews at work. How many of us get great reviews at work? We work hard. You show up here because you are the high achiever. I know you. You're in my office. I know you. I adore you. Chloe did a presentation and she was so fantastic. She nailed it. She got great reviews. Everybody was applauding and saying, this is brilliant. But then she went home and before she knew it, she couldn't fall asleep because her brain is reviewing every mistake, every detail. Well, what if I had said that? Did I sound immature? Do they not respect me because I'm a woman? What is this? And so all night she cannot sleep because her brain is ruminating every single detail, even though she's telling herself, go to sleep. You got great reviews. Everybody told you you did great. You're fine. Nobody's firing you. You're not living under a bridge. You are fine. But yet, she cannot fall asleep because these intrusive thoughts and fears and anxiety are plaguing her and keeping her awake. I'd like to tell you about Simone. Simone is a small business owner, and she is visionary. She's good with her customers. She's really good at customer relations. But she has to meet with the bank, and she has to have really official loan meetings, documentation, she has to have everything ready, and she is starting to have panic attacks. She's driving her kids to school, soccer practice, and before she knows it, she's hyperventilating. She's like, okay, I'm smart, I know what I'm doing, and yet, I feel like I shrink, and my mind goes blank when I'm around certain kind of dominant personality types and people that I feel like I have to prove myself to. Anybody relate with Simone? Then there's Maria. Maria is in a large business, and she is really good at the fine detail and attention to detail. She knows exactly where the penny is. She knows exactly every fastidious detail in the handbook, but she feels like people don't really like her at work. So she goes to work, knows she's good at it, but she's just kind of self-conscious. She doesn't enjoy it because she feels like there's these little alliances and people are kind of treating her in a certain kind of way that makes her uncomfortable. So even though nobody's ever said anything or done anything, she's walking around with this feeling of not being accepted or liked or belonging. And so that's destroying how much joy she could have when she's an excellent businesswoman. So these are three examples of people that I see every day. Obviously, details have been changed, but this is me and this is you, and we all have this inner world where I know better, and yet it feels this way anyway. I would love to remove the mystery, the fear, the shame, the anxiety out of that, that you can start enjoying your inner world instead of struggling and working against yourself. 
human nature since we've been kids so we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps we use willpower and we say just stop it right like the good saturday night live therapist just stop it just stop just don't think that anymore stop feeling like that make it go away and think of that like a really elaborate game of whack-a-mole you're like stop feeling that don't do that don't go there don't spend that don't eat that don't don't and your inner world is rebelling so when you ignore things on the inside, it intensifies. So the next time you lower your guard, that reaction comes out even stronger and bigger next time. And it's like, oh, I'm broken. And in reality, I believe you're not broken. But instead of treating yourself like a bicycle where you just try to willpower and pedal harder against yourself, we need the keys to understand you've actually been made fantastic, brilliant, and there's a stewardship issue. There is a aspect of being parts of self that you're actually supposed to have parts of you. So that inner dialogue where you're like, did I just chew with my mouth open? What does she think that I just said that? Oh my gosh, blah, blah, blah. Did I forget the oven on at home? That inner narrative is actually a different part of you. Instead of thinking of that as like an abstract wiring of your brain somewhere, most of my clients say, oh, my broken brain or my ADHD brain. Instead of thinking that, your brain's actually just responding to your soul and your spirit, to so your body, soul, spirit, and your soul has many committee members. And at birth, you'll see your child go from anger to content to giggly, and you'll see all these reactions come out of them, right? Same baby, one, and yet many facets. Just like you, hopefully you're very aggressive and competitive in the right setting at work, and you're not that way with your kids and your spouse, right? Hopefully you're romantic with your partner and not with your coworkers. <laughs> there is a place for all parts of self and we want to keep those separate. The problem is at any point when we believe a lie of shame about ourselves, I am. Any sentence that starts with I am is an identity statement. And so when you say I am bad, stupid, not enough, the trigger of all this is it's also unconscious. So I didn't necessarily have to think I am not enough. I didn't even know that was a core belief of mine. Even though I'm a clinical psychologist, a leadership consultant, a business owner, I was still walking around every day with this unconscious belief, I am not enough. So what I would do, uh, snack too much, write comfort eat, I'd zone out in front of social media or TV. No, just me, just me. Okay, that's fine, I'll be vulnerable. <laughs> Uh, so we have these little vices we go to or we ruminate and we think like, what are they thinking about me? Am I competent? Do I know what I'm doing? So this inner narrative is not abstract. It's actually a literal part of you that is asking a question. And instead of just stop it, which silence, you know, it's rebel. And some attention is better than no attention. We all know that from childhood, right? So instead of ignoring that part of you, we want to create space for an internal board meeting. And so just like a corporation, there's lots of different people. You don't want your janitor and your CEO, unless you're a small business owner, being the same person. You want different people doing your marketing, doing your finance. You want all of those to be separate people. And everybody has their strength and they come to the table and they offer, here's where we are, here's our status report, here's where we can make improvements. But when any part of me believed I am bad, I'm dumb, I'm not enough, I'm a woman so people treat me differently, any part of that, there's a literal part of your soul disconnected from the board meeting. This part of you now goes unconscious because it's too threatening to walk around with that feeling because I need to get up and make breakfast and 
we have these brilliant defense mechanisms that just step in and say, nope, I'm just not going to think about that. I'm just not going to go there. Yeah, I know I had that kind of childhood, but it doesn't affect me. That was a long time ago. So those parts of self that are still holding that for you, I picture like a Christ figure. Like that part of you fell on the grenade, and it has been holding the unconscious pain your entire life of that, you know, five-year-old moment of daddy not looking at you or feeling like your test wasn't as good as everybody else. It seems really small and inconsequential, but our entire life we're forming core beliefs. And when we're young, the younger we are, the more enduring, like wet cement. So when you're very little and you're close to the ground and you fall over, you realize, oh, heights hurt. I don't want to fall over again. I never have to consciously think about it. The next time I'm at a tall place, I'm going to pull back. Even though I know I'm safe, I'm in an elevator, I'm not going to fall off this building, my body will automatically do that because that's classical conditioning and it went to your reflex arc, which is the back of the brain, not the actual decision-making part of your brain. So every day, we have smart me going, I know what I'm doing. I am good at business. I am showing up, putting my best earrings on, etc. Kendra Scotia, just kidding. Uh, so then on the inside, other parts of you are having a completely different dialogue where it's like, oh, I, I hope they don't realize I don't know what I'm talking about. I hope they don't see through me. I hope this dominant person doesn't make me feel inferior like person of my past did. So all those classical conditioning dynamics from our childhood are called templates. And those templates are still playing in the background like a hard drive of a computer. So many years ago, I called Apple Computers for support, right? So I did all my little softwares, but that spinning wheel of death was still going, and it wouldn't work. And I'm like, Apple, you aren't so expensive. You should work. So I call him, and I tell him about it. And he said, did you update your software? I'm like, yes, of course I did. That's like asking, did I push the on button? Of course I did. He's like, uh, let me check your information. He's like, man, this computer's from 2008. Like, your hard drive is ancient. It is not compatible with software updates in the present millennia. Like, who are you that you have a computer? And I still do, by the way. It's not. I really am frugal because of that whole background of the farmers and the dust bowl. That's just I'm still working on. So anyway, um, he's telling me your hard drive is too old. It's incompatible with current software updates. And it made me think, as a psychologist, how many times we renew our minds. We do positive mantras, we do these really positive, mentalizing our future. And yet my hard drive is still that little girl that feels inferior, doesn't belong, and someone's eventually going to see through my false self that I told myself. We don't do that on purpose, right? Like, I don't put on a false self. My unconscious puts it on for me, so that's the way I see me, and it feels safer than to see the angry, the disappointed, the depressed, the rebelling, the antsy me that can't sit still. I don't want to see those versions of me, so we hide those. But if we were having a board meeting and the CEO is trying to talk, which is your prefrontal, that's your executive reasoning, and then you have this like chatter in the background, like you have all this noise back here. You have this part of insecurity coming up and you're like, oh, why does that insecure thought keep coming back? Why does that impulse to drink or pain pills, why does that keep coming back? I, I don't need that. I'm over that. I don't need that food addiction anymore. You know, whatever those things that our soul has developed over time, it's knocking at the back because I've been ignoring that. And when I disavow any part of me, and every thought is actually attached to a part of self. 
There's no thoughts and abstraction. There's a literal part of our soul that's holding that belief. So our job, instead of just continuing to have bodyguards push these parts of me out of the way, instead we create opportunity where it's safe for each part of you to be heard in a measured, slow, healthy way. So for instance, most of us as humans, I work equally with males and females in the business space, most of us human beings have imposter syndrome. Right, that unconscious feeling that eventually someone's gonna see through. We don't walk around with it every day, but that's where that insecurity, your mind going blank, overthinking that conversation, ruminating about what people are thinking about you, double checking everything. Those are all symbolic ways of trying to defend and protect myself from the fear that I am not enough and eventually someone's gonna see through. So on the inside, your soul is asking these questions and instead of just talking over it and being like, it's fine, you know, I'm, I'm better for it, it's whatever, right? Instead of scolding and shaming those parts of you, we need to create opportunity. You can do it through journaling, you can do it through guided imagery, any internal work that you do where you go, huh, I have a fear that people don't like me. So let's say Maria's case. <laughs> I have a belief that I'm walking around in a world where I feel like I'm not enough and people are thinking some kind of way about me. For her, she would want to sit down and say, me, that actually experiences and holds that from somewhere in the past. Doesn't mean it's not happening today, but it just means we want to go to the root. Anytime something intrusively thought, feeling, experience, when it comes up and you're like, oh, I wasn't thinking that, why does that keep coming? Think of that as a part of self, like a check engine light, like, hey, I have this thought, I have this feeling, hey, pay attention to me. And the more you ignore me, I'm going to get louder and more annoying, and I'm going to affect your sleep tomorrow. The more that that happens, the more you can say, I would like to honor the part of me that even though I don't agree with it, even though I've already made sense and it's fine, right? Um, I was telling uh, this beautiful woman that my mom went to heaven not too long ago. And I'm like praying and believing for her to go, you know, to not go to heaven. I'm believing for that, right? And I went six solid months and I am good. I am starting more businesses, more leadership, podcasts. I'm doing more than ever. And I'm like, I know the stuff about grief, and I think in my own denial, that's not going to affect me, because I know the things, right? So blissfully ignorant. So then, six months later, all of a sudden, my friend's like, I just feel like we should really spend time talking about our hearts instead of doing work today. But no, we have a deadline. Let's work. I know this stuff. I'm a clinical psychologist. I know that I should do my grieving work, but I didn't want to, right? Because no matter how much you know the stuff, there's still defense mechanisms. Just like on your hand, you have nerve endings that say, I don't want to touch hot things. At any point in your life, you touch something hot, you never have to think about it again. Your hand immediately jerks back when it thinks it's going to be touched by something hot. So for yourself, pain is pain is pain. It doesn't matter if it's physical pain or emotional pain, thinking about that divorce or that breakup or that incident with your child. It doesn't matter what the pain is. Everything inside of you is geared to pull back from pain. And so when she asked me, well, no, I really feel strongly that we should talk about our hearts. Of course, I wasn't going to therapy to work on my grief. We need to talk about our hearts. And before I know it, in five minutes, I am falling. And I'm wrestling with this inner part of, I know better. I know that my mom's in a better place. I know that God is good and it will turn for good. I know these things. And yet, here's my reality of what I'm feeling and experiencing. Now, if I rewind the past six months, well, I thought I was high achiever, 
inside, I was pretty irritable and things were starting to really annoy me that didn't really normally annoy me. I'm kind of an easygoing person, but all of a sudden it was just like everything was just kind of annoying and people were annoying. That's information. Instead of just assuming people are annoying or people don't like me or dominant personalities XYZ, I have to be responsible to steward my inner world. Why am I experiencing this? Instead of just assuming it's my environment, assume your environment is triggering something that's probably already inside. So then I went back and I realized, oh, that irritability is actually unprocessed anger, sadness, grief that was trying to come up, but it kept getting sucked back down. And that happens to all of us. We have an inner world that is designed to hold and contain things for a really long time. That's why we have that blissful shock denial period. It's fantastic. But then over time, it's like, man, that divorce was this long ago, or that person passing was that long ago, or that uh, job that I got fired from or whatever, it, that shouldn't affect me, that's so long ago. People forget to make connections because shock denial wants to make sure we don't make those connections. So we wanna do the inner work of being intentional and going back and saying, huh, I've noticed that I've been craving carby sugar things late at night. I wonder what's going on. I've noticed that I'm leaning toward gossip more now. I wonder what's going on with my soul. I've noticed that I've become more short and frustrated with family. I wonder what's going on. Instead of just thinking that's a quirk and telling yourself to just stop it, that symptom is actually there trying to inform you of something. And when you take the time to actually do an internal board meeting and you say, hey, me, that is feeling inferior. I love you. I accept this part of me. And I want to bring you into the light and I want to hear from you. What in life ever made you feel inferior, not enough, not good enough? And again, your conscious mind is smart and sophisticated and brilliant and doesn't think that should have affected you. But for that part of your soul, at that age, in that time in your life, it did affect you. And so we want to honor those parts of our soul. My honor, I mean, it's like instead of patronizing where I go, okay, yeah, I know my dad was like that. You know, I know my mom did that, whatever. But it's like getting down, getting low and going slow with humility and curiosity, genuinely asking, Hey, what's making you feel insecure? Hey, I love you. What's going on? And from that point, I'll even just journal and I'll write in different colors or I'll write in different like fonts just to kind of represent different parts of me. So before you think multiple personality disorder, <laughs> what I'm actually talking about is the chemistry, the beautiful mystery, the brilliance of being a multi-part system. You're in the healthcare world, you know we have 11 systems all having to separately work together in order to cause your one body to do anything every day. Eleven separate systems, and they never merge into one. They're always separate. Cardiovascular, endocrine, everybody's having to do their separate jobs in order for one body to function. Just like a triune nature, you have a body, a soul, and a spirit, and within that, then you have different parts of soul, different parts of spirit, and you have different parts of your body, and they're all responding to everything, and they will always be separate. Multiple personality disorder means now we've created like a new symphony hall, a whole new personality, and then there's like a taking over where now this is separate from this versus I hear my voice saying, I can't do this, right? I feel right now in my body insecure or alone or anxious or overwhelmed. That means it's still one building. I'm getting the feedback in my one corporation. I don't have multiple different corporations. 
So we're not talking about multiple personality disorder or DID. We're just talking about the fluidity of just like a really great corporation, you want every part of you to be valued and heard. Now that doesn't mean those parts of us get to take over control. So I have a lot of clients with like, let's say tempers, you know, really angry and they're like, oh, I'm humiliated. I hate that I yell at my staff. I hate that I yell at my kids. I can't stand this about me, Dr. Crawford, fix it. I'm like, well, first of all, it's a very pejorative way to talk about a part of you. Yes, I agree that we don't want that behavior, but behavior is not identity. You are not an angry person. A part of your soul is feeling anger. And do you know what anger is? A stage of grief, right? Anger is a stage of grief. So that means there's something probably in your life that was never acknowledged and validated and honored that your soul got to properly grieve that. So picture, it's like a part of your soul that took on the role of I'll fall on the grenade, I'll hold the anger for you, you're welcome, and yet it's down here in the flesh, getting all kinds of input from dark thoughts and feelings and impressions, but it's still a literal part of your soul. So a lot of times my clients go, ooh, I don't, you know, I'm a nice person, I, I don't want that, ooh, make that anger go away, that's not good. Instead of going, oh, I want to restore honor and dignity to the part of me that the grief got aborted because I didn't allow or my family didn't allow anger to be an honored part of our experience. So we have to go back. Sometimes my clients are depressed. You know, I have um, several clients that they've achieved their pinnacle. They're making the multi-millions, their business is thriving, it's fantastic. And yet I don't really want to get out of bed and nothing really brings pleasure and it just is. You know, I thought this would make me happy. I worked my butt off and now I'm here and I'm burnt out and like whatever. What you would do is say, huh, a depressive affect means something is being suppressed. Something is not being honored and acknowledged. So for a lot of people, and everybody is completely different, there's no template on that, but a lot of people, if they didn't allow themselves to work through their sadness, their discouragement, their fear, their inferiority, and they've just been masking over that, or their anger, and they've been masking over it. It's like your energy, like you have a reservoir of energy, like a geyser, and there's this boulder that's sitting on it, suppressing. And so people come in trying to fix the depression, make depression go away, instead of saying, oh, my inner world is out of alignment. I probably need to honor and grieve and work through some things. And let me clarify that when we say work through or grieve or honor and acknowledge, it doesn't just mean labeling. Cognitive labeling is software. Where I make new insight and I go, oh, my boss is driving me crazy because he reminds me of my uncle who was so judgmental and critical. Now it makes sense, that's new insight. And we're so excited and we think, okay, now I'm not gonna be annoyed because now I understand it. I'm not gonna get inferior or feel small because I understand it. That's not true. Now you're gonna know it and it's gonna drive you crazy and it still bothers you anyway. Human, right, we're all here. So it bothers you because the hard drive, remember that old computer that hadn't been updated? Our hard drive has not been upgraded. Hard drive is where you actually acknowledge the part of you that does feel intimidated by dominant personalities and say, I love you. What was that experience like? And you're just using your imagination. It's nothing new age or hypnosis. It's just in your imagination, you picture the age you were at the age that might have been. You can even ask your soul, how old were you during that? What was going on? And your mind may be blank, so let me prepare you for that. That means your defense mechanisms are going, nope, that's not allowed here. So you always start with defender, protector part of me, I love you, 
I acknowledge you. It's okay. Come out of hiding. I'm safe now. That person, that event is over. It's okay to break the rule to be angry. You know, a lot of us have family of origin rules that we were not allowed to do things. That template is still running on the inside, whether you're aware of it or not, just like gravity. I'm aware of gravity, the rule, without having to think about it consciously. So when you do an internal board meeting and you visualize, okay, me, that's irritable. I love you. What are you feeling irritable about? And just like a crying baby, if you just tell them, stop it, it probably isn't going to work so well. But if you say, hey, you hungry? You need a diaper change? You need to be hugged? You need a nap? What you're doing is you're attuning to the actual need, and then you're helping bring resolution. Once that happens, it actually deactivates your neurochemistry misalignment. So on the inside, if we're walking around every day feeling a little bit on edge, overwhelmed, it's too much, I can't do all this, but I'm trying to show up the best I can, there is stress inside of your body, whether you're aware of it or not. To your body, it's the same as running away from a bear. It doesn't know the difference between psychological threat and physiological threat. So your body is going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So it's releasing cortisol, the stress hormone. So then by two o'clock, we all need caffeine because our body's been working on overdrive and we have to self-medicate, get some energy back in us. And we have that lull in the middle of the day because our adrenal system has been working too hard because of unconscious thoughts that have been affecting our neurochemistry and our hormones. So my, my biggest plea to you, all women are on diets, right? If you want to lose any abdomen weight that we all carry, oh, probably I need to deal with some of my cortisol. Now, that's not the only thing, obviously, but it would be a good idea to say, I wonder if there's a stress part of me. I acknowledge the part of me that feels anxious, overwhelmed, insecure. I love this part of me, and I bring you conscious. It's okay. What are you feeling about? And then you can just write it out. Even though your brain will say, well, I shouldn't feel that way because these kids are a blessing. I asked God for them, and they're driving me crazy, but, but, but I shouldn't feel like that. No, it's okay to acknowledge that and say, I'm really feeling regret at marrying this person. Now, it doesn't mean I'm going to not be married to them, but it does mean that I have permission to acknowledge and validate bring it conscious. Once that part of you is no longer a disgruntled employee who's causing havoc on the inside, and you acknowledge, now you can make prefrontal decisions of going, oh, I could go to marriage counseling. I could go to leadership consulting. I could go to family counseling. Now there's productive things I'm actually addressing the real issue versus self-medicating it all day long and trying to run ahead of it and get another accomplishment or another degree or another raise and promotion, something else on the outside to make that feeling go away. Just like all these people I worked with that they've achieved their pinnacle, and yet they're empty because that thing was not actually what they were longing for. It was usually validation from a parent or somebody to say, you're enough, you've measured up, you've done enough, good job. When that doesn't come, the soul stays in a perpetual state of stress because an unmet need creates a longing. It's a disequilibrium to your system. And so now you're chasing after that, longing for it, and it puts your soul in a place of stress. So an internal board meeting, if you follow our podcast and there's more speaking engagements, um, we can give you more information on that. Obviously, I can't lead you all through your own unique one, but I hope as businesswomen, I want you to not just do well professionally, I want you to thrive emotionally. I want you to show up feeling confident in your own skin, believing you belong in your seat, believing that the sky is the limit, and that it doesn't take from your family or your work 
version of yourself that you really can have all of it. So that's it. If you guys have any questions, anything that you want to ask, um, I do want to start with this question here because a lot of people in the healthcare community have been affected by a great loss. Dr. Heather passed away a week before his 38th birthday. It was very unexpected. And so a lot of people are grieving and they feel like they're on the outside because they're not family or they weren't part of that group or whatever. So maybe if you can speak to grief um, for people that were close friends or work associates. So two things I would say about that. One, grief matters because grief matters. It's like when my clients say, yeah, but I wasn't human traffic. It wasn't that bad. It doesn't matter. There's no need for comparison. If you have a broken leg and someone has a broken pinky, their pinky is not less valid than your broken leg. It doesn't matter if you're super close or super far. Your grief matters. Your story matters. Secondly, grief often hits other things symbolically. So it's a transition. What other transitions in my life have I had? What other forms of abandonment or loss or what other times have I felt forsaken, abandoned, insecure, unwanted, people were not as steady and reliable as I thought they were? What grief does is it, it, um, it throws off like the internal system of like the world feeling fair. And we all have this just world belief unconsciously that if I do the right thing, good things are going to happen. If I do bad things, bad things are going to happen, right? So when grief happens and an injustice is something that you're like, what? How did that happen? It throws off our inner world and it makes us second guess a lot of things. So we're grieving the individual, but we're also feeling topsy-turvy on the inside because a lot of your automaticity of what you take for granted that's running in the background now just got glitched. And so it can affect you on multiple layers, your own story, your inner world, and the loss of the particular individual. So I feel like every woman, or maybe it's just me, I don't know, but have some form of insecurity um, that you touched on. And um, what are ways that you can work on that? I mean, I guess without having to go to counseling. I mean, not every, I don't feel like you have to go for every, like, you know, someone like me just being considered has some insecurity sure. about, yeah. you know, their, I don't know, it, but it's not counseling or things. Sure. Yeah. So an internal board meeting is designed for that, where you would say, hey, me that is feeling insecure, that does feel less than or not enough, or not pretty enough, not smart enough, whatever that is, I honor you and I acknowledge you. What is it that first made you feel like that? And then you start honoring and processing it. But again, it's not just cognitive label, it means that check to grieve and process and get emotional. So when somebody looks past you, like the research on depressed parents. So a lot of times we think, yeah, but I wasn't abused. If your parent was emotionally unavailable and their eyes didn't light up when you walked in the room, that tells you a very strong message of my presence does not bring joy to the world. So something as small as that, nobody had to hit me or say anything mean, them just being preoccupied or staring at TV instead of looking at you, that would be a very easy way for your soul to develop a core belief, I am not enough, I don't bring joy, so I better work harder and get your attention and make sure that I'm in front of you so that you finally see me, or learn helplessness, which is the belief, no matter what I do, it's not going to change, and that's the depressive posture. So it would just be doing that inner work to acknowledge and love those parts of you, and then, again, you always have to talk with the defense mechanism part of you. Defender is not like a, a brick-and-mortar wall. That means it's a literal part of you that's whole role is to say, nope, that's not a problem. I'm fine. I'm competent. I'm great. I know what I'm doing. Yep, this feeling keeps coming back. 
That means I have an internal war, right? A house divided against itself can't stand. So there's two or more parts of me that are at odds against each other. So I would just break down the problem, write it down, and then just picture there's different parts of you. Some of my clients will draw like a circle, like a board table, board meeting, and then they make little mini circles to represent the different parts of self. Like you have a go-getter part of you, and that part of you is here today, and she is showing up in her cutest outfit. You also have jammy you that just wants nobody to talk to you. You want silence. You just want alone time. Nobody to need or want anything from you. Those are different parts of self. You also have a very romantic flirty that wants to get up and get dressed up. But if at any point, any part of me believes a lie, an identity statement, now it's like there's a cloud, a core belief that's overshadowing my ability to step into something. So let's say you're going for a promotion. And sassy you, you know your stuff, but you walk in and there's something about that environment or those people and a child part of you goes, oh my gosh, right? And so your mind goes blank and you stutter over your words and you feel insecure. Like, what the, I know my stuff. And you look back going, how did that happen? You know, cast out that demon. Instead of going, oh, actually, there's a little girl part of me that felt intimidated and scared and overwhelmed. And I was anxious that somebody's going to see through that I don't actually know what I'm talking about, or they're going to overtalk me or overpower me or something. So any of those dynamics that create insecurity, there's something about it. So instead of just getting mad at myself, treating me like a bicycle, treat yourself like a Maserati that you just need the user manual. You need a, a fancy sports car user manual to go, oh, I'm not broken. My fundamental belief is I'm not broken. Shame is a lie. So now I need to do the inner work and find out what part of me is feeling like that instead of constantly trying to make it go away. 